it was such a, a crash course into like identity to the point where I then turned 16 and I had a really, you know, monumental moment in my life where, you know, a friend of mine right in front of me was shot five times. And I had to really have the experience and like look back and realize my parents saw that as we have to get her out and get her into another uh, environment. So they gave up custody of me so that I could go to a different environment and um, live and go to a different high school. And so that is very rare. I, I mean, to have that family structure to recognize, okay, she's not doing well in this environment. She's consistently getting herself in, in situations that are dangerous. I was lucky in that sense and really, you know, turned a page at that point to say, okay, I think I want to take back control of my identity and how I show up in the world. So community, identity, all of that, like was my, was my high school experience. And then from that point on, I just built and built who I wanted to be. Mi gente, que lo que, dímelo, dímelo, dímelo. What is up? Ya tu sabe, it's another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel. Martinez bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a reminder on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So each week we have a new guest join us for a very candid and vulnerable conversation around the conflict that they have experienced around professionalism versus authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Micaela Vargas. Micaela is a native of the Gage Park community on the south side of Chicago. She describes herself as a high impact coalition builder and social entrepreneur. She has over 10 years of experience in public policy, political strategy, business development, and operations. These days, she currently serves as the executive director of the Chicago Latino Caucus Foundation, where she leads the organization's charitable initiatives to support and mobilize the next generation of Latino leaders, as well as manages the caucus's legislative agenda. In addition to that work, she also runs her own company, MAV Consulting. To get a full description of her bio, please be sure to check out the show notes. Now that you have a bit more context into her bio, let's get right into the episode because it's a dope conversation. Let's start off with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword. Everyone says it, be your most authentic self, but we often don't talk about like, you know, what the hell does that even mean, right? So for you, when you hear that word, what comes to mind for you? I was actually named after my grandmother. So it has been a real golden thread for me to think about how am I showing up authentically as representing her and her legacy. So in terms of authenticity, um, it took me a while to figure this, this piece out, that you have to figure out who you're not before you really show up as who you want to be. And um, I had to go through years of really sifting okay, okay, th that didn't feel good to me because I'm a real feeler. Like you just have to, you know, are you, you know, uh, do you ponder at night? Do you, do you write down? I, I just feel things out and every situation I leave, I say, okay, how did I feel about that? How did I show up? And it's not to overanalyze, but it is to really kind of figure out what you're not. And so um, me showing up authentically is just really, you know, proud that I'm representing my, um, my namesake, my, my family. Um, and really kind of showing up as the tidbits that I think are kind of my mini gifts, right? So coalition building, how am I bringing people together at a table? 
I feel like one of my um, authenticity points is real diplomacy. I love to bring people together and find common ground. And so, you know, the little ways that I could do that throughout my day um, really feel great to me and make me feel authentic. Tell me about when you were growing up, was it easy to live up to that definition that you're describing? Because it's interesting, you mentioned authenticity, part of it is figuring out where you are not. And I think growing up, we often have these shoulds, right, around like what we are supposed to be, or even like expectations or pressure that even our families and friends think what our life should look like. Tell me about that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, so my family, I grew up in the South Side of Chicago in Gage Park, very proud of the fact, uh, born and raised in Gage Park in Chicago. And, you know, my family was interesting in the perspective of how they brought up, brought me up. So they met at a community center in Pilsen uh, in Chicago. It's a predominantly Mexicano uh, community. My father was a, a muralist and a painter and art teacher. And my, my, um, my mother was like an after-school health nurse, jack of all trades. And so they met, fell in love, a Puerto Rican and a Mexican, unheard of at that time. <laughs> um, very West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but yeah, they, they started a family and their family, the basis of our entire family has been always community driven. Um, when I, at the start of, I want to say like eight they had me working in the same community center, giving back, you know, like working with the kids that were always younger, like doing tutoring, um, you know, neighborhood cleanup, something as simple as that was really ingrained to um, my siblings and I. And so, so kind of growing up, I always had the foundation of, okay, I think public service is at the core of my family, but also I was named after my grandmother and, she was the matriarch of the family. She had 10 children moved from Mexico, Durango to Chicago West Side and lived in, you know, one bedroom apartment and really kind of made a way and a pathway for her family to be successful. And so um, it was a little bit of pressure. You know, all my aunts and, and uncles, you know, Micaela, like, it's almost like I had to really kind of live up to it. And the moment I started to really let go Sometimes detachment allows more things in to flow. And so um, it wasn't until I just started, you know, feeling me out and um, listening to my inner voice, really kind of leaning in on my family uh, and their, the values that they ingrained in me were the times where I felt most successful and that was giving back. So, yeah. There's so much we need to get into there. I mean, talk about old school. Your family, your parents met at a community center. Like that is crazy. It's so romantic. At a disco. At a disco. At a disco. <laughs> like a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. It's 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 fascinating too. Like your description of not only the community center but but their neighborhood of of Pilsen, right? I'm I'm getting this visual representation, but I'd love for you to maybe describe it first in a little bit more detail. Like what it, what did it look like? Who were the people there? You said it was majority his, uh, Hispanic, right? Or Mexican? Yeah, yeah. So, so Pilsen is a beautiful neighborhood in Chicago and it is so rich with culture. And so a lot of Mexicanos came there and there was a very big Chicano movement um, back 70s, 80s, but really uh, it's centered on art through activism or activism through art. 
And so my father was really a part of that movement. And so essentially what they would do is create these murals. So Pilsen's known for its murals today. It along like there, it's like storyboarding in community. It's insane. And so <clears throat> I'll give you a prime example. So recently my father um, was part of like a committee that um, restored a mural in, in Pilsen. And so it was about a uh, David Boogie Gonzalez, who was an activist back in 70, in the seventies. And he was a peacekeeper. And this is at the time where gang violence was, you know, rampant through the, through the neighborhood. But, you know, people were really staying strong to, to the idea that Latinos don't have to be um, segregated, that, you know, Cubanos and Mexicanos and Puerto Ricanas can, you know, Get, get together and, and um, share great family values, but also show up in the world, you know, empowering each other, but also black and brown people. And so, um, unfortunately, so there was a peace rally in which he was shot through the heart. And so they, they uh, dedicated back in uh, the 80s, a mural to him, just to kind of prove that you know, he was fighting on the, on the front line every day to bring these communities together to find common place. And so they recently restored that and it's beautiful. Like it's vibrant colors, like the brightest. Think of like, uh, these are like very traditional Mexican mm -hmm. artwork that you can wear visually, like all around you walking through that neighborhood. So that's how I'd visualize it. But that's, that's the beauty of that community. They really show up with their heart in the sleeve and you can see it through walking the streets. I love that story. And I love, I love so many different forms of art, but in particular murals hold like a very special place in my heart because I feel like growing up art, I've seen it historically been like gate kept, right? Like you only mm -hmm. see art in, or at least my idea of, quote unquote, quality art was like, oh, well, it's in a museum. It has to be beautiful art, right? And I went to this exhibit by Banksy and he said intention, he, he said that his art, although he's like one of the most famous artists of the last decade, he was like, you'll never see my art in a museum because, of, because they don't see it as quality art, right? And he says the reason why he in particular loves street art, he, he said that art belongs essentially to the community. Like, by gatekeeping it in museums, you limit the number of people that have access to it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the beauty that I see of art is that everyone is able to see it, right, with the murals. But my, and I'm getting goosebumps just like thinking about this, right? But when you when I think of murals, I think most people think of like the beautification potentially of a neighborhood, but there's so much education that comes out of art, right? Like that example, someone is gonna walk by that and say like, wow, that's beautiful. But another person may walk by and say, that's beautiful. And I wonder what this means. I wonder why Absolutely. this is placed in this neighborhood. I wonder who that person is, right? And then does the research and then has a whole other appreciation for not only the art, the neighborhood, the culture. It's, it's just fascinating. And I think for you, it's interesting, right? Like growing up in, in, in this time, in this neighborhood, I'm envisioning kind of a duality when it comes to the culture, right? Because on one side, there's gang violence, there's, there's a perception that the media is putting out there of your culture and what it stands for, yet there's this completely other movement of people taking the narrative into their own hands, right? 
in cultivating this like no we're, we we do a lot and it's not just this one negative perception that y'all are putting out there right i'm curious for you like what sort of impact did that have in your identity this like duality of the narratives man i what I'll say to that is particularly growing up in high school, I went to a local high school on the Southwest side. So essentially, you know, if you don't test into a magnet school in Chicago, you, you go to your local high school. It's like a uh, typical process, but mine was heavily Latino and African-American. And so what I was seeing firsthand was I was a little sheltered growing up in the sense that, you know, I didn't understand how good I had it by having a nuclear family that was together. My mother and my father were, were together. I didn't grow up in a single family home. We were, you know, low to, to, to middle income. Like we, we definitely, there were some weeks where, you know, maybe the pork chops, didn't make the play, you know, but we had always <laughs> rice, beans, tortillas, like I, we didn't have to worry. Right. But then I step into, so growing up, I actually had really bad dyslexia and, um, didn't catch that till maybe sixth, seventh grade. So, you know, I was a average D plus C minus student in grade school. So, you know, I wasn't a brilliant child per se, but in terms of my brilliance, like I showed up by making friends. Like I, my, my report card always said, you know, if she didn't talk as much, she could really learn, you know, she's like really chatty. She's too much of a social butterfly. And, um, I didn't know, like my mother was like, just sit down, listen to the teacher. And I just couldn't, I didn't know what was on the board. I didn't understand half of what they were saying. So I just kind of made it my own. And um, going into high school, I went to a, obviously I didn't, I wasn't able to test into a magnet school for high school. And it was my first slap in the face of, oh, I don't know who I am. And so who do I want to be? I want to be everyone's friend. And I really just want to be accepted. Like that was part of my, like, I think core wound. I just wanted to be liked by everyone. And at 14 and 15, when you're in a school with heavy gang violence, I really fell into that. And, um, you know, with the duality of going to school in a neighborhood, but living in a, in a uh, rival gang territory, I just, I almost felt like I had to choose, right? Like I had to choose my friends and it was c consistently conflicting with what my parents taught me, right? You know, stand your own, you know, take care of your community. But I was consistently denying um, that version of myself just to be accepted. And I thought, you know, the way to acceptance was, you know, protection, right? I needed a way to get home. Th there was at one point, you couldn't, I couldn't cross the street to go to uh, the train station, which was on uh, opposite gang rival, because I had to go back east, which means I lived somewhere else. So I had to walk it or my, my mother had to pick me up because I was consistently getting into fights and falling into the wrong crowd. So it was a, it was such a, a crash course into like identity to the point where I then turned 16 and I had a really, you know, monumental moment in my life where, you know, a friend of mine right in front of me was shot five times and 
I had to really have the experience and like look back and realize my parents saw that as we have to get her out and get her into another uh, environment. So they gave up custody of me so that I could go to a different environment and um, live and go to a different high school. And so that is very rare. I, I mean, to have that family structure to recognize, okay, she's not doing well in this environment. She's consistently getting herself in, in situations that are dangerous. I was lucky in that sense and really you know, turned a page at that point to say, okay, I think I want to take back control of my identity and how I show up in the world. So community, identity, all of that, like was my, was my high school experience. And then from that point on, I just built and built who I wanted to be. How did you start building who you wanted to be after that point? Okay, I did it the wrong way. I did it the wrong way at first. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, so what happened was I tried to be almost the exact opposite. Like my my brain back then worked, okay, if that's not who I want to be, let me go as far away as possible in to the north side of Chicago. So, so <laughs> I'm from the south side. Far away from me was north side. And I think south siders will understand that because it's like a world in and of itself. Like I really never, I like only hung out uh, on the south side. So I went to DePaul University and I remember thinking, okay, this is, this is my moment. Nobody knows me. Let me reinvent myself. And so I started to like overcompensate signed up for every club, was part, of, like, was president of my sorority, was, like, you know, my Latina sorority, multicultural, which was another defining moment, um, but I started to just, like, I think I did it in the way that wasn't authentic to me, because at the core of me, those experiences shaped me, but with, if anything, I was actually trying to reject that, to the point where I would run into people from high school, and they wouldn't recognize me, like, I, now, growth, right? Like there is a balance between needing to, to really kind of show up and, and, um, you know, I'm really big on, I'm like a extremely curious person. So I'm consistently reading, learning. Uh, It's just an insatiable um, feeling to me to consistently learn. And so I wanted to show up differently. And so it wasn't until I started to merge, maybe towards the end of college, maybe in my first job where I started actually community organizing and being on the ground, working with constituents through uh, government and politics that I understood that, oh, I don't have to be ashamed of where I've come from. I don't have to be, actually, I can be really bold about my experiences and not have to deny that part of me, but that's what makes me me. So that, those were my, two, my, my two-step process. You kind of had to do it wrong, like, again, you have to, like, figure out what's what you're not to figure out what you are, so. That's another fascinating visual. I'm just imagining you, like, walking down the street and casually bumping into someone from high school. And you're like, oh, my God, hey. And then people are like, do I know you? <laughs> you know what oh. I mean? Oh, my friends to this day, they make a joke of it. They're like, oh, Southside Nika is out today. Like, you know, no. I, I used that. <laughs> I was very proud like but it was to the point where you know I would dress a certain type of way I would talk a certain way I was only hanging out with certain people that you know all of a sudden they're like 
wait, that's the same Mika that I used to know back then? No. So, Tell me about yeah. it. What it what did that look like, sound like, feel like from South Side to North Side Mika? <laughs> okay. All right. So essentially, okay, now this is back in my day. So this was like, okay, 06, where you would wear a jersey and you would have matching headbands. You remember that? Yeah. So like yeah, if yeah. you were wearing a Lakers jersey, you would wear your your yellow and purple headband. And like <laughs> I did the crispy, the crispy um. You know what I'm talking about, like the crispy, like hair, the crunchy hair, and you would okay. have two um, bangs right in front of you that that you would straighten. Anyway, this is a girl. This is okay. totally a girl top. But is this a jersey um, dress? You, is this what you was doing? Well, you could do a jersey dress, but I did baggy jerseys, and okay. then I wore jo- joggers and Air Force One. Okay. And and yeah, you know, it's just like if that was an, oh, the other thing was matching belts with the yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so all of that comparatively to just you know how I wanted so in college so this is how reverse it was I never wore anything other than heel I don't know in I felt college. like that's like what professional people did you know like I I trekked it across campus in like boots and heels I did not care because I didn't want to be the joggers and gym shoes girl but I can be casual and authentic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I loved my journey. I loved the fact that like I tried out different like versions, I guess, of myself. But I'll be honest, in the past year and a half, no my gosh, it's been about two years now, where I've gone on a real personal journey, uh deep, deep, you know, personal journey where I have been asking like the next level of myself, okay. How do I want to show up now, now that I know the, the, the things that I know and I do wear my heart in my sleeve. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Therapy, spiritual experiences, all, all, all the while building my career. It's been exhausting, but very <laughs> given me a lot of hope. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. The explanation of the visual. Uh, I think for people <laughs> listening, watching all of those things. Even without the picture, they they 100% get it. But I think even that description of the heels and the boots compared to, you know, the joggers and the sneakers, when I entered corporate or I had my first internship, my representation was just the people I worked with, right? So I looked at my manager as a mannequin. I was like, all right, yo, what is this outfit? I'm buying that same exact outfit, right? And besides seeing the representation, I used to take classes in college it was kind of like internship prep classes where they would teach you how to be a quote unquote professional, right? So they would teach you how to dress. They would tell you what to do, what not to do, um, how to approach certain things, right? So in many ways, you know, the academic institutions that we grow up in, like they, they kind of prepare us for the workforce, right? I'm assuming, did, was that the similar reason as to why you started uh, sort of like visually changing yourself a little bit. Before she answers that question, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. 
Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Oh, for sure. Uh, Well, so I was, what I started to look for was my interpretation of a mannequin, right? So I tried to look for Latinas that were doing uh, awesome, amazing things and, uh, you know, essentially mimic what they were doing and how they were showing up. So I had one particular mentor that I had had since high school into college, and I saw where she lived. I saw, you know, if you can't see it, then you don't understand that it's a possibility. But with her, I thought, okay, this is the exact way I should show up. But then I actually got into public service and it was in a situation where I was working in a Latino community. And a very, very, you know, touchy, I guess you could say sensitive part of myself is that I don't, I'm not fluent in Spanish. And that just, it has never sat right with me. Like I've never felt fully belonging to my community because I don't speak the, uh, the, the language. And then I go find a job that requires me to connect with only Spanish speaking constituents. So I actually went to go work at a alderman's office in my same community after college. It was like full circle. So I go back to my community of Gage Park, work in in, an aldermanic role, just kind of working with constituents on a day-to-day basis. And I couldn't communicate with them. That was really, really tough for me. I started to, to, to figure out, okay, let me just center myself. There are so many Latinos that are not fluent in Spanish and still have so much value to bring because I am in touch with my my heritage and my identity. And so I can bring that to my community and my in my job, my role, not just through language. And so I started to look for different versions of that. I've met so many people that I appreciate and I find so much, we have a great working relationship and they don't speak Spanish, right? So that, the language, as well as the, the physical, uh, how do you show up to work? I actually came to work in a satin. Okay, I'm going to give you another visual. Is this a like the first suit? Is this like the first day of work? So it's my first. It's actually my interview. Um, now that I think about it, so I came, and you know, this is a a like community office, right? Like, you you're basically out in the fields. You uh, report if people have tree trims that they need or um, their street light is out. Any city service we represented the families in our community. I came in a satin suit with like a, my DePaul portfolio and they're like, okay, just so you know, you don't, you don't have to dress up for this. Like you're going to be, you know, sitting behind a desk either majority of the day and interacting with constituents. But you know what was crazy? It felt good to me to, to dress the way I wanted to. So that's when I started to really like, you know what? I can show up however, as long as I'm doing my job. Like that, that's how I'm going to show up. So I started to tweak that along the way. And, and, you know, you, as long as you do a good job, you can actually do, uh, get away with a lot of things. So. And, and what were some of the things that you started to tweak? Cause what I've found is that it's not just one day that we just show up completely different. It may be, Ooh, you know what, next time I'm going to wear the same suit, but instead of, I'm only going to wear the top of the suit, I'm going to wear jeans or I'm going to, I'm going to wear the suit, but without the blazer, or I'm going to wear the suit, yeah. but it's going to be a, a blouse instead of a button up under, right? I'm going to, you know what, instead of doing a neutral color, I'm going to add some flair to my nails. Like what, what sort of layers did you start 
peeling back or revealing, uh, you know, and starting to get more comfortable in yourself? Well, actually, it started on a like mind level. So what I started to realize was like, I have a really like I have a creative side, but I'm not an artist. I'm not, you know, I can't, you know, make you a mural like my father can. But how I show up in my creativity is through my personal appearance, like through my personal style. And also through what was making me, I started to just feel out what made me happy. And I'm like being in creative energy did that. And so I would, uh, I actually take breaks to paint. I do puzzles while on the phone. If I have phone calls doing um, like putting together, like, like Friday nights, that's my jam. Like um, this is when you know you're 30, 31, right? <laughs> Friday nights. I stay home and I do a big puzzle. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's part of now my routine of staying in my creative energy, knowing that that is a really, really authentic part of myself. It's probably passed down from my, from my parents and okay. I I'm not artistic, but I can really add a lot of infusion of energy into the work that I do which is, you know, government consulting, really, really working with mutual relationships, building relationships across the city. I do that by staying in my creative energy. And so it's like my personal style. I don't care if I'm overdressed. Now, I used to really, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? Like now it's, it's none of that. And so I just, how am I feeling? If I feel good, I am showing up the way I want to in the world. And so those are the little tweaks that took over a decade to make. Wait, so did you bring like puzzles and sketchbooks to work? Okay, so <laughs> I, I did and it didn't go so well. So there was a time where I had to really just take a moment about in 26, in 2018, where I had really done a lot of the work that I had set out to do. Like I was, and we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started, but you know, I, I have a history of just up leveling myself to my detriment where I would never enjoy the journey. I would just want the feeling of being, of achieving the goal I set out. And then immediately it's a human instinct to do this, set the next goal. And so I was a con, I was on this constant, um, role and so I went from uh, doing constituent work um, I wanted to go in international relations I ended up doing municipal uh, policy I was working at the county with uh, an elected official started to understand politics now like on the opposite side you know how do you elect somebody how do you run a campaign how do you fundraise Latinos have a really really hard time fundraising but um, I wanted to really build that side of myself. And I realized this in 2018 that I cannot be my most authentic self in a nine to five. And it's because I couldn't take those breaks that I knew I needed. First of all, I don't have endless energy. I'm a very finite. I actually am very efficient when I work. I can get all the work that someone does in eight hours in three and a half. And so the other six hours, I was finding myself needing the painting, I wanted to paint or I wanted to creative, you know, um, do a puzzle or a journal, S something as simple as that. But I had kind of this 
you know, I was a manager at the time. I had employees to kind of think about what was the, the environment setting. And so I have always had an entrepreneurial spirit and said, okay, I think I need to design my own life now. And I'm going to go um, take the risk because I'm in a, in a position where you eat what you kill. So it, it's like, how many contracts can you get? Um, and if you don't get any, you don't have money that month. So I was like, I'm willing to take that risk because I knew I would be so much better in my job if I had the structure that supported it. That's fascinating. And it resonates with me so much. I remember when I was working at Facebook, I used to get criticized because I didn't work at my desk. And for, for people that are listening and they think about the Facebook office or the Google office, like all these like really big tech companies, it's a, it's a dope office. I mean, there's art everywhere. There's snacks everywhere. There's like, there's a library where you can work and like no one's allowed to make any noise. There's a cafeteria. I mean, there are dozens, if not hundreds of different areas to work besides your desk. And I'm the type of person that maybe is, you know, hashtag only child, but I like to work independently. Like I get really, I get distracted really easily. So I don't like to work on my desk because people come up to you like, oh, how are you doing? People just talk to you and I just get distracted. So I like to work in like really secluded areas by myself. So people used to tell me that I wasn't being friendly, that I should spend more time at my desk, all these things. And I'm just like, well, you all just don't get my work style, right? So mm -hmm. there are so many things about like the nine to five, quote unquote, like the corporate America way of working that I find difficult. And I used to get criticized, hence, but I'm still getting my work done, right? So that idea of authenticity, sort of like a conflict with traditional standards of productivity is like fascinating to me. But I'm also curious for you, right? You, you tried it though, right? And I'd love to get a, uh, an idea of what was some of the pushback that you received during that time, though. Well, I mean, in a very bureaucratic system like government, especially because you are getting paid on taxpayer money, it is, it was much, it was a, it's a unique environment. I, I went, it was a, definitely an outlier for the typical corporate structure. And this is why corporations are really trying to find, I'm fascinated with the subject, just like you are, like the Adam Grant, um, like the, the organizational psychology of things, right? And um, I read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Have you ever? <sighs> it's like, all right, so I haven't, I haven't, I had to put it down, but I'm, I'm going to pick it back up. I didn't finish Okay, it. yeah. It, if I win, when I scale my business um, to include you know, people in their um, geniuses and their zones, because I definitely do. I have weaknesses. I hate doing invoices. I actually <laughs> don't. I, I will delay getting paid because I, you know, that enter that, that to be in that mindset, I have to be really in um, a different, you know, energy. And, and all the while of like when my teachers, when I was younger, were calling me too much of a social butterfly in the, in the government structure, I was building like the times where I didn't feel like being at a computer, working on a policy legislation, I would go and relationship build with the other chiefs of staff, with the other, um, you know, government affairs people. And that would add a lot of value back to my employer. So I was very lucky that my employer felt a certain type of way, but you know, it's like an old school structure. And 
you have to, if, if there's not a structure that is aligned with your best version of yourself, I would encourage anyone to go create it. It's a hundred percent doable. Like Banksy, like your example of him, he's living so authentically. He created a new genre. It's completely um, in our possibility and in our own right to, to do that, to live so authentically that we create new pathway, pathways for other people to enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think a lot of people are taking that path. And I think I think corporations are missing out on so much talent because of these like old school structures. But, you know, I think the corporations that are going to win are going to adapt to the times and, and the demands that, that people are asking for. And I think COVID was a big reality check, right? I mean, something mm -hmm. as not simple, but a big shift that we're seeing even is just like working from anywhere, right? Like that's a huge change. So now people can incorporate the types of breaks that you're talking about and no one really knows, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> but, and honestly, yeah. they don't care. Yeah, it, it's You know what? It's taken a lot of load off of managers too. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like they were, they were also living just by like, oh, this is just how it's done. And now there's, there was this, um, um, experiment that they were doing at a corporation and about uh, time blocking. So I'm a big time blocker. So you Same. know the 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 conversation what you were saying about when people uh, approach you and it disrupts your groove of what you're working on. That loss of productivity is exponential in those types of environments. And so. Um, I start, I, I time black, like I actually have no, no meetings when I try to avoid um, meetings in the morning. Cause that's when I'm, I'm my best writer self. I actually write um, in the morning as much as I can. And then I, you know, put all my meetings in the afternoon if possible. And then I actually, I work out in the afternoon. It, it is like the best. I feel the best. I've gotten my meals in. I don't need to, you know, check in with my you know anybody hey can I run to the gym like no I and then I actually get a, like a bit of an energy after dinner and I don't mind going back to work it feels good to me so I'm like you there is external th thinkers or um and then internal th I'm an internal when I'm brainstorming I actually like to be in my own little bubble but people there are external thinkers that need to talk through ideas with others and I would want to see in structures that those people are grouped. Like I would self-select into the internal brainstormers and, you know, people can approach others that are um, open to that kind of brainstorming session. Like it would just work much better. I, I I've never actually heard the term of internal versus external thinker. I'm definitely more on the internal thinking side and it's funny because my girlfriend is not an only child and I just referencing only child because I think that has a huge impact at least on me it did but uh <laughs> like we were even talking about like when we first started dating she was like oh because I was like oh I need to feel productive as early as possible um in order to just like have a good day right like there are certain things I need mm -hmm. to check off early in the day to just feel good about myself right and, I, and she was like oh no yeah like like let's work together I was like you don't get it like I, I can't work together <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I was like, I was like, we're, first of all, we're not even working on the same thing. She's like, no, 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 I, we'll just, you know, be there together. And Sit I was like, next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, like that still doesn't work for me. Like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, it was like really difficult well, to explain. Right. But can I ask there, you something? Yeah, go for it. Well, your morning routine, what is it? 
in the morning, I like to literally just think for two hours. Mm. And when I say think, I'm saying like, I like to dream about like the possibility of whatever I'm working on and then kind of like brainstorm around how would I get there? And then that typically informs what I'm gonna do that day. And then I go through like the to-do list. I typically, I'm now I'm starting to work out because entrepreneur stuff is, is new to me, right? So I'm like maybe two to three months into this. So now I'm getting to a groove of like, I do that in the morning. I go to a cafe. That's another thing. I need to go outside as soon as possible because um, I get, I'm an extrovert. I don't necessarily, I don't need to talk to people, but I need to be around people. So I need to think as early as possible. I need to get like dream, like expand how I'm thinking about what I want to achieve. I need to see people as early as possible. Um, Right after that, now that I'm caffeinated, I um, do something like on my to-do list. So I feel productive. After that, I work out and then I don't care what happens in the rest of the day. I need Hmm. to, and I I typically, depending on how I'm feeling, because I used to force myself to be creative, but now I'm doing, I'm more so like leaning into like, oh, I'm feeling creative. Let me take advantage of this creative energy and do as much as possible so that it could, I can stretch it out for the week. For example, like, I need to create TikTok videos. I'm like, maybe I'm not feeling creative today. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. So like that ebbs and flows, but going outside, thinking in the morning and being some sort of like productive to-do list, check the box, that needs to happen. Oh, every, every great leader that I've read about actually schedules time to think. Mm-hmm, Richard mm-hmm. Branson, all the atomic ha- habit um, like list, it it makes a lot of sense that uh, that prepares you because you are an internal brainstorm. Like that's, you can form it. Some people cannot do this. They have, they almost need that in energy from other people to infuse their idea. So it becomes bigger and bigger. You can yeah. do it within your own head. Yeah. And so when other people just, you know, try to, to come in and inter- intersect that, like it just throws you off. And yeah. I 100% resonate with that. Yeah, and I and I'm and I like to collaborate, but give me time to do yeah. it on my own first before I connect with y'all. You know what I mean? For sure. There's, yeah. there's. I mean, there. It makes no sense that you we would place one process on, you know, a billion humans and think it's all gonna you know work the same way. It just doesn't. We're so unique, yeah. and I, you know, I just don't want to subscribe to having it. Oh, because it's just the way that it's done. So yeah. we just should change it. Or you yeah. and look at, you know, we changed our environment. If, mm-hmm. it, if the environment doesn't fit, then you have to do what you have to do. I love that. And, and we spoke a little bit about maybe some of the pushback that you received, you know, trying to incorporate, you know, your authenticity, how you best work. But talk to me about some of the positives, right? Because since, you know, starting to do more of your own thing, I would assume, and maybe this is just a story that I'm making up in my head, I would assume that you've become more productive, you've become more confident and comfortable. Tell me about that from a positive angle of you embracing more of your most authentic self. How has that impacted your work? Um, I had to take a pause, and, and this actually just happened yesterday. I was sitting in a meditation. I, I don't do it often, but when I do, I do feel like it really centers me. And I have to think about, you know, when you got your first paycheck back in 
Okay, my first job paid me like twenty four thousand a year. It was something like I remember I had to make one hundred and seventy five dollars uh, stretch every two weeks. I remember like based on my student loan bills and a couple other things, I had one seventy five for myself. And I would, you know, go through and make sure. Okay, I spent five dollars on a. I'm twenty one at the time, mm-hmm. first job, and now. Sitting in this environment that I am at, you know, we're, you know, basically requiring this is my monthly retainer. It's kind of like it, you lose that first feeling of when you got your first job or your first paycheck. You're like, wow, I'm making, you know, $21,000, $24,000 a year. Like, this is amazing. Like, $175 is awesome. Now you almost have to try to recreate that experience, that feeling for you every day. Like I, I almost try to do that. Um, and that is a positive for me in which I'm experiencing within my business now is, okay, I am so incredibly grateful. I actually had to check myself yesterday because I was like, how am I going to, I got to break, you know, I got to get a multiple K month and I, how do I get another client and all these things. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Looking at the market, I'm actually above market rate but it's because I, I only want to work with a certain amount of clients. And so I, because I know I don't have expendable energy, I'm a very, you get the best version of me. And that's why I do a lot of different work for one client. Um, and I, I'm feeling that out right now. It feels really good. And then just kind of, you know, moving that forward. And so that's, I, I'm trying to recreate the feeling of the that just, appreciation for being in the position that I am in, um, in commanding whatever your market rate is, so that it feels really good, it feels really authentic, and people just get the most out of me. I just am very, I'm honestly deeply happy. I love my job. I never wake up and feel like, I never feel like that. And I'm tired. There's sometimes where I'm really tired, because yeah, maybe I'll work four hours one day and 20 hours on a weekend because something unexpected comes up, but I get energized by it. It actually, I just, there's no other way around it. I just, yeah, I just would hope and would really, I would never imagine having a life that I didn't feel like this. So yeah, yeah, those are some of the positives just of stepping into knowing myself, the self-awareness that you talked about in your morning routine. That's rare. And I strive for that all the time, every day. Yeah, I love that. And, and I'm so happy for you just to see the person that you've become compared to the, uh, to the South side, North side hey. person that you were like debating back in the day. But, you know, our journey isn't done. We're still continuing to improve and, and work on ourselves. I'm curious to close what's that one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to continue being your most authentic self? Whatever I do in my most purest authenticity, my most purest genius or zone of gene or zone of excellence. If I just stay solely in whatever I want to own, I can really create something awesome that people would appreciate and that people would benefit from. So if I'm doing my job and it's, just my job to do, but I don't want to do it. I'm letting, I could potentially let other, others down. 
that could be benefiting from it. And so that is what continues to motivate me every day. It's, I, I go back to the example of Banksy and having his art just be so pure and so him. Thank God he showed up the way that he did or else we wouldn't be able to appreciate it. And so, you know, whatever I add to, to the world and I do really get motivated having one-on-one sessions, like talking to people about what I do because I feel like, you know, maybe that helped them that day that checks the box for me. I could wake up uh, the next morning and do it with so much more enthusiasm. So just the lane that you pick is, Um, yours to own and if you don't then who will mi gente that wraps up this week's episode of the kintuera's podcast if you enjoyed this episode please do us a favor leave us a rating and a review it just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism thank you and see you next week